As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Hello. Welcome to the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. My name is Jessica Barron, and I'm a vice president here at Centennial Inc. And this is the podcast that helps leaders reframe success in their leadership for their organizations. And we've now had 10,000 listeners to our podcast, which is amazing. So you are one of many all over the world listening to this. And today we have a very special leader for our conversation. Her name is Paris Parker. I've known Paris for a long time, but we're even going to go back farther than that because Paris has a really interesting family background that I think has helped her in focusing on her career as well. So welcome, Paris. Thank you. And we're delighted to have you. Paris currently professionally is the head of HR at Kroger Digital, which is a, an amazing role, especially for a company that is focusing on digital so much. But let's go back to your family, Paris. Sure. And tell me a little bit. I had the pleasure of meeting your parents at a wedding once, and it just really opened my eyes to the kind of culture that you grew up in. Tell me a little bit about that. You met my parents, so I don't have to brag on how amazing they are, but they made the decision to move to the States from Karachi, Pakistan, when oddly enough, I was my eldest, just a little bit younger than my eldest now. So I was just getting ready to start kindergarten when we permanently moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. And, you know, what I appreciate now being a grown up ish with kids is so different from even what I appreciated about them so many years ago. But it was obviously a big move for them to leave a country that they knew and loved. So not just knew, but really loved, had great careers. And then here I came and they decided to move to the States for my benefit. And so I joke about it now and say, oh, you know, no pressure to not mess it all up. But we just grew up a really tight knit family. It was just my mom, dad, and I in the home, you know, in our immediate home, but we had a lot of family support. So I think you met my aunt and my uncle and potentially my grandmother too. And so we grew up just in this family environment where the expectations were really simple. Be honest, do good work, give back, value something larger than you. So for us, that's God. And just be a good person. And that was really, the factors were so, so, so simple. But when I think about my life trajectory, it's really those four things that ground me. Family, God, and faith, and that focus on just being a good person inside and out. And there was no differentiation of what that looked like at work versus what it looked like at home versus what it looked like on the playground, it was the same. And so now when I think about people saying like, oh, am I my, am I supposed to be my work self or my personal self? It's confusing to me a little bit because I feel like I am who I am, regardless of the environment 
that I'm in. So, but I think that really came from those four very simple ways of being and no separation of my parents that those should look differently in different places. And that was the start of that. So when they came here, in order for you to grow and to become more of a fuller person, they must be just like really surprised at the trajectory, not only of your family, which is gorgeous, these two beautiful children and husband, but the trajectory of your career, that they must be nodding their head and saying, we did the right thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. So part of those four things is also being really humble. You know, my mom was actually asking me something about work the other day, and we celebrate a lot. But, you know, career trajectory in the sense of promotion and those types of things aren't topics of conversation Mm -hmm. with them or really in my household now. Mm -hmm. It's really, are you happy? Are you in a place that matches your values? Do you feel like you're set up to do the type of work that you want to be doing? So even now, 35 years later, the genesis and the essence of my parents is exactly the same. I know they're proud. I can see it in their eyes. I'm proud of them for doing all that they did for me. But where we find value is less in the career trajectory and more in how we give back, how we show up for our friends, for strangers, our coworkers every single day. And it's a regular driver in how I go about my day every single day. Well, let's talk about that. Some of the earlier days. Yeah. It must have been a surprise, not only to you, but especially to your parents, that your first job was at Victoria's Secret. Yeah. (laughs) I know I was surprised when I saw your resume. (laughs) By the time I met you, you were already in a consultant. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So to be fair, my first job was the folks that are in Cincinnati, Ohio will appreciate was at Kids First Sports Center. My first resume job was at Victoria's Secret. And, you know, I was home from college and needed something to do. It was after my first year at Miami University. And, you know, I was home, didn't have classes and needed to be busy. And back then there was no, you know, now working in digital, there was no get online and do your resume. I remember we hooked the printer up at home. I printed out my resume, which was like half a page um, and walked the mall. And I hope Somebody listening remembers that that was an actual thing. So there's walking the mall for exercise. And then there's you walk the mall and you got applications. And so Victoria's Secret, I think, was like my third or fourth stop. And you dressed also. So you didn't walk the mall for applications, you know, looking a hot mess. You looked like you wanted to work someplace. And I went to pick up an application. And while I was there, the woman just said, do you have a second to interview right now? So here I am, not too far away from just turning 18, like, sure, wide-eyed. And we sat right out, right in front of the store. And I interviewed. And it was supposed to be a summer job. You know, I was supposed to work there until I went back to college in the fall. And I loved it. So I went from being, you know, a part-time associate to just really liking the work, really like working with customers. And, you know, Victoria's Secret does a really fantastic job 
you're going to hear me talk about values a lot, but they had values around integrity. They had values around community. They also had like early, early, early on values around the inclusion of women and lifting women. And I just learned so much about business in those first couple of weeks, how to make business decisions from a sales perspective to a payroll perspective. Back then, I think it was that then I became a key holder so I could, you know, do things with the register that like, a, you know, when I was a different level associate, I couldn't to when I went in to put in my resignation for college because I was going back to school they made me an offer that I kind of couldn't refuse, which actually is a funny story also. When they asked me to, you know, consider working full-time through college and helping with school and the pitch of not only will you have a college education, but you'll have a lot of great business experience. I remember my manager at the time was saying the words to me, and I was like, I have to call my mom. I mean, that was the first. <laughs> I was, she was like, what do you think? And I was like, I got to call my mom because I was 18 and I didn't know what that meant and, you know, how to process it. But we laugh about it now because I remember when I went home from that day of walking the mall and filling out the application, they offered me the job on the spot. And so I went home and I was like, not only did I walk the mall and get applications, I got a job. And my parents were like, oh, where did you get a job? And I said, Victoria's Secret. My dad was like, what? And he was like, what do you mean? What are you going to be doing at Victoria's Secret? And this is where the cultural thing, you know, you take You for didn't tell them you were going to model, granted. did you? No, <laughs> but in their eyes, that was Victoria's Secret, exactly. right? It was the catalog back then. It was the commercials that you saw of women wearing things that you sell at Victoria's Secret. And there was such confusion. And I don't remember his exact words. And I don't remember who said it, either my mom relaying it. Or my dad actually saying, like, you couldn't find a job anywhere else. But if you think about it, being parents that are immigrants to the States, we're Muslim. And so the thought of, like, your now Muslim girl child working for Victoria's Secret, that all you have the vision of is what we just talked about. I get it now of, like, okay, stupid. You probably could have set that up a little differently. And I remember saying to my dad, like, I'm going to wear a suit every day. And he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you have to wear, you know, black suit every single day to work. But it was such an obstacle. But, you know, they also could have put a stop to it, which I think is really interesting. So even after me explaining, it would have been really easy for them to say, you know, I'm not sure that that matches up if they really didn't get it. But they really trusted me to make the right choice, even at that superbly young age. And that's such a, you know, now as a parent and as somebody who works in a function where the constant is people and people are the ones that make us profitable you know, people are the ones that make us a place where people want to work and shop and be merry. That concept of really showing that you trust people enough to just make really good choices is so critical. And my parents did that then. And I had zero appreciation of that then. You know, like I was like, oh, I explained it and we're all good. And now I'm going to go to work. But that was a critical choice point for them. And I think a very critical empowering moment for me now that I've had a chance 20 some odd years later to and reflect on And they modeled that behavior just beautifully for you. And that, you know, I was going to ask you about a seminal moment in your background that helped you understand 
what you wanted to do going forward. And I think that that's probably an excellent example of it, which is why, of course, I brought it up. So I happen to know that that's an excellent organization, the Victoria's Secret, the entire team there. So that's where you learn these things. So thank you for that. Tell me about what happened from there. How did your career start to move from there? Yeah, you know, I have so much gratefulness for Victoria's Secret and limited brands. So while I was there, and I think this was before we were actually using the words mentors and sponsors and all of that, right? You had a boss. I had some of the best, you know, now say like hashtag girl bosses or boss ladies ever who really just poured into me and taught me about business. And, you know, I was going to school for psychology at the time. I wanted to be a child psychologist. And being in that business environment and having those classes, that mix at such young age was my special sauce of really getting business, but also understanding what makes people tick. And that's where I found success at Victoria's Secret was getting stuff done through motivating people. And, you know, Jessica, I was 19 when I became a manager and was responsible for dollars, safety, hiring people, firing people, having really tough conversations, running, like making business decisions hour by hour. And oh, back then for the retailers listening, you know, a computer didn't do it. We had a big graph piece of paper where every hour we wrote down what we did, what the accumulation was, you know, you wrote everything down by hand. What was next from there? Yeah. So from there, I went to U.S. Bank and was there for about a year. And again, that same experience from Victoria's Secret is what helped me land at the bank. And then from the bank, I went to Global Lead, which is, you know, the bank is near and dear to my heart for lots of reasons too. But Global Lead is where it all came together. So Global Lead being a consultant, being a woman, being a diverse, a woman of color, now working for this company whose whole purpose was to be a talent optimization and diversity and inclusion was just such a great mashup again of values, my competencies and skills that I learned along the way. And now with a new twist. So at Victoria's Secret, I had to learn the Victoria's Secret way to be successful. At U.S. Bank, I had to learn the U.S. Bank way to be successful. When you're a consultant, you have to learn the methodology of your firm But you also have to learn how to be really agile and really intuitive to learn about all of the businesses in which you're going to function in. And that was really masterful because you have to build relationships faster. You have to give yourself grace to screw up. You have to know who your people are that you can get help from, who's going to support you. And, you know, I worked for Dr. Janet Reed when I was at the firm for a woman who's had so many women and men, but specifically so many women who have lifted me to meet and get to work for Dr. Reed and now be able to call her a friend, a family member, a mentor, a sponsor, everything. She's my life person. She taught me so much about challenging myself. Give me an example of that. Yes, I'll give you an example. Dr. Reed, 
back then she talked a lot about this concept of companies have board of directors and people should too. And I remember, I think I was in my 20s, and I'm like, okay, but I know what a board of directors is. Let me really think this through. But one critical thing she told me is, you know, it's important to have the people that are always going to lift you and always have your back. You also have that, find that person that you're not actually sure if they like you or not, because you've got to find that person that's also going to like challenge you. And maybe if your tendency, which mine is, is to see the glass half full, you've got to find the person that's close enough but far enough that's also going to help you think through things really differently and isn't going to constantly be a yes man or a yes woman or a yes person. And that's just one example of, you know, how she really challenged me, not only to think about who my current day, like, squad was going to be, but also not to give myself the easy road and just surround myself with people who are going to be like, yes, do that. Yes, you're going to be great at that. But also ones that are going to say, is that the right choice? Are you really good at that? Can you do it? Not as a way to break you down, but the world is going to break you down. And you should be hearing some of those things from a quote unquote safe space. So that would be one example. Another one would be around voice. She challenged all of us you know, I know she's going to listen to this, but we used to all be really scared to take in our PowerPoint presentations because she does not mess around. You have to know your stuff. All the grammar has to be perfect. There was no draft with Dr. Reed. So if you forgot a period, I mean, you might as well, <laughs> you might as well cancel the meeting. But that rigor, you know, made me better, made me look at things differently and she really helped me find my voice. You know, she enabled me to be her shadow on a board. And her expectation wasn't that I went and just sat and listened. It was that I said something, spoke up, added value. And if I didn't, she really challenged, you know, why didn't you say anything? You know about this. You don't get to be in a boardroom and not share insight when you have it. And there's not a lot of days that go by where something that Janet has said, something that I've observed her do, stories that I've heard her share haven't been relevant for me personally and professionally. And it's she's just really special and I'm thankful for her every day. Tell me how you're paying that forward. Yeah, you know, I'm still not sure that I am. I hope that I am. I hope that because of my persona, I am a person. You know, I feel like I'm a person that people ask for advice and I always say, I can't give you advice, but I can share my story with you. And hopefully that will bring you something. I do think of, you know, I see a lot of my lessons from Janet, you know, me really forcing myself to also share with my team even if it's in storytelling about Janet, but, you know, rigor in your work, the value of relationships, standing up for yourself, having a voice. She has this, you never feel like she's taking pity on you. She's not like helping you do something because she can do it better than you can. She's showing you a way that she's done it, or she's sharing education, or she's sharing a resource, or she's a masterful storyteller. And from that, she's really igniting your own brain to think about what do I do differently because now I know this. And she's the opposite of some leaders are, if I tell them they'll know, you know, and they might be able to do it better. Her expectation is if I tell them they'll know and they might be able to do it better. Same words, very different meaning. And I try to do that 
every single day, share knowledge. We talked about that word help. Yeah. And you said that there's a big difference between help and enable. And you even gave me an example. And we don't have to say where the example was, but that you were on a panel and everybody was talking about, I can help you do this. I can help you do that. And tell me what your reaction was. You know, my reaction was, I have a seven-year-old daughter and I have a three-year-old son, both lovely. You know, my seven-year-old gal, I was a seven-year-old gal once. And when I think about her in the future, you know, help means I'm going to help you. I'm going to physically help you do it. If we say to a child, I'm going to help you clean up your toys, you're also cleaning up the toys. If you enable them to understand where their toys are supposed to go, what cleaning up means and looks like, you know, we do a lot of like, hey, in five minutes, you're going to have to clean up your toys. That's actually a thing that she can do on her own because we've enabled her to do it versus we're doing it with her or we're doing it for her. And I think, you know, whether it's enable or it's empower or whatever the word is that you want to use, it's really about creating an environment or a space where a person, a human can be the best that they can be without you, right? Because the end of the story is we're not going to get to be with her forever. And what have we done if the consistency that we've created is us? my husband and myself or her brother, she's really got to figure out and he's really got to figure out through how we enable or empower them to make choices and show them that we trust them and have the confidence in them to do the right things, that that becomes their muscle memory and not, I have to ask mom for permission or I have to ask my boss for permission. How do I understand what the desired state is? And then how do I have the confidence in myself to know that I can do it? And we talked about how many of the personal impact and lessons that we learn really translate into our professional lives as well. And we are very strong believers in the culture, not only that you enter into your work life, but you create. And you shared with me some information about that you can't possibly attend all the meetings you're supposed to attend and be there for everyone that needs you now as this area of the Kroger Digital is growing so quickly, how does that impact what you're doing there? Yeah, you know, so these are lessons from along the way. So if you combine what we've talked about from values to doing the right thing, to being trusting, to having faith, not just in God or whoever else you might have faith in, but faith in people, I'm a true believer and driver of having really awesome people on my team and then giving them the space to be the awesome person that I know that they are. And that can be really hard because especially when you work, and all of us do to some degree in a specialty where we've done something before and we've had great success at it. And there is this positive intention of like, oh, you don't have to recreate the wheel. But sometimes we learn so much from recreating the wheel. And sometimes the workplace doesn't always allow you to recreate the wheel. So when you have the opportunity, I really believe in creating a space where people can take it. But I trust first. So I'm a true believer in we hired somebody because we saw something really special in them. And now our fundamental job is to create an environment in which they can do that and they can thrive. And sometimes that means you have to shut up. Sometimes that means you have to let go of control. I hear people say all the time, like, well, I'm type A. And it's like, well, that sounds like a personal problem. You know, that's not the person you hired 
problem. You hired them because you were like, wow, for sure, out of the five people that we talked to, 10 people that we talked to, Jessica is going to be the best at this. We need to create the space that Jessica can be the best at that. And I've been so lucky, whether it's Victoria's Secret, U.S. Bank, Global Lead, Macy's, A451, or now Kroger, I have always had such a phenomenal opportunity to work with really awesome people and build a team of really awesome people and then give them the space to be really awesome. Even though I want to be like, oh, try it this way or, you know, write the sentence this way. No, if it's not going to have some sort of fundamental crazy impact on the outcome, let it go. That is a very enlightened and amazing way to work. I would imagine that not everyone is comfortable with that amount of freedom and that amount of independence. Is there a time then that did not work so well for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's probably a 50-50 balance of where it's perfect out of the gate. You know, another thing I learned at the consulting firm was all of our brains are wired differently. And because of that, we process information and go about our work differently. And that's really helped me when it's not working. I always go to outcome. So let's align on the outcome that we want to drive, then create the space for the person to be able to drive to that outcome, and then coach and get feedback, right, along the way. Because part of our roles as leaders is to build the muscle memory, not build our muscle memory or not build the process that worked for us, but create space where that person can build their own muscle memory. I find it most with, you know, candidly people that are like me, I'm really right-brained. I don't like when somebody says, do this, then do this, then do this. Because in my mind, it's like, well, if you're giving me all the steps, like you just do it, (laughs) you know, versus if you say, here's the outcome that we're trying to drive for, figure it out. Most people on my team that tend to work in that same way, I've now figured out maybe we need a project plan or maybe we need different milestone check-ins. Or I'll always say like, hey, this is what we need to accomplish. When do you think you can get it done? Because the person should own it versus me saying, I need this, the business needs this, and it has to be done, like really engaging. And that is a form of empowerment of, oh, okay, this is really important. And so I am smart enough to make the choice as to when I can do it. And then you just coach and check in to where they're building that muscle. And it takes time and it's always worth it. That's really important, important lessons for us to learn. So now we have a lot of titles that say the talent director or the talent leader, as opposed to HR. Is there a difference between being in charge of talent and being in charge of human resources? Yeah, you know, I think they're all words. So I do think a shift from there's this muscle memory that a lot of us, and I'll speak more to the States because candidly, I don't have the data to talk about it internationally, but human resources historically, like if you, when I think about when I was at Victoria's Secret, the only time you called HR is when you needed to fire somebody. Like when something really bad was happening, it might've been like a complex situation and you heard them, you know, pull out the policy binder and flip through it because it wasn't digital back then. 
So you called HR to take care of stuff that either somebody made you feel like you couldn't, or it was so bad that you just wanted to make sure, you know, CYO. Yeah, protect yourself. Right? Yes. Now, HR is truly about, as a function, is shifting into understanding how people work. Not just people. People are obviously the most important part, but it's about thinking through what a Again, I'm going to use the word solves for, but like, what is the business trying to solve for? What are the types of skills that you need in order to do that? And once you answer the skills question, you're looking for certain types of people for certain types of things. And then it's how do you attract those people? Where are those people? How do you find them? If they don't exist, how do you develop them? And that's truly about talent. It's about the talent of that individual, the talent of all the things that they've picked up along the way, the talent of things that they're going to pick up when they're with you. That's a very different solve for. And big part of how I think about my transition first as a business person, because my first truly HR job when I was in an HR function was when I was at Macy's. And that was way far in my career. The really critical piece that I've seen myself transition to is how do I create an environment where managers, leaders of others, have that empowerment of having the tough conversations? The genesis of that is it's not a tough conversation if you're having it regularly. If a person knows what they're supposed to be doing, what good looks like, and you're giving feedback along the way of this is what it's supposed to look like, this is what it's not supposed to look like. I guarantee those like super hard, whatever the words are, courageous conversation, candid, all the words that we've given things, they happen less and less because if somebody knows what's expected of them and they are regularly hearing they're making it or they're not, they're going to figure out their own way out of that situation. And you don't need legal. You don't need your HR person to sit in the room with you because you have the power to have all of the right conversations all of the time. I'm smiling <laughs> since this is audio. Our um, listeners can't see me. And I'm smiling because these are lessons that you learned not only in childhood, not only from your parents, but as an 18-year-old trainee in a retail environment. Selling bras and underwear. Selling bras and underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and how important these things become as you start to build in your experience, in your life, and you pay it forward and you share with the people that you're working with. You know, Paris, I have always been so respectful of all the good stuff you've done. This has been a wonderful conversation, learning more. Is there anything you want to tell our listeners, you know, that they should know about the talent, about trusting people, about empowering people. Yeah. I think if I had a closing comment, it would just be to believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in people. Believe in the goodness that's within all of us. And breathe. You know, like at the end of the day, we're all working or volunteering to fulfill something larger than just that work or just that volunteer experience. So believe and breathe. I couldn't have said it 
any more perfectly. Believe and breathe. Thank you, Paris. Paris, it's been a delight to talk to you. This is Jessica Barron, and this is our episode for the Talent Magnet Institute podcast today. Again, we are helping leaders reframe success in leadership. Thank you for listening. Sometimes it's the little things that make a big difference. A post-it note and two minutes can make a huge difference in your workday. Find out more at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash post-it. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes... Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.